you know, as Christians, we have to understand and, and be real with where we are. That's what we have to see first, individually. And what where our mindset is and what we desire. Eric the Addisons. I think what God is really calling us back to, it's those individual personal revivals in our own lives where we're like, oh Lord, what have we done? We have minimized you. Promoting truth, wisdom, and empowerment. As the church, man, we should be on the forefront yes. of making disciples, of indoctrination and godly things. If we don't train our kids, they will not be able to stand. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. Good afternoon. This is Aaron Addison's here on American Family Radio. This is Wednesdays with Will. I'm glad that you are with me today. Man, I'm excited about today's uh, program. Um, but before I get to what I want to talk about today, I want to uh, just make a few announcements. First of all, you can email us at addisons at AFR.net. Addison's A D D I S O N S at AFR.net. Also, you can follow us on Facebook and on YouTube. Just search Airing the Addison's and you can watch the broadcast live. Also, on Facebook, we do, uh, you know, a few things like we do some challenges with the children. Uh, pretty funny. You know, uh, we haven't done one in a new year yet, but um, you can catch those type of things on our Facebook page. Just, uh, just uh, look for Airing the Addison's. Also, just want to throw it out there. You're going to be hearing a lot more information about this coming soon. The Marriage Family Life Conference happening for this year is going to be July 7th to the 9th. It's going to be here in Tupelo, Mississippi at the Bancorp South Arena. It's going to be a lot of fun. It's going to be a lot of information. It's going to be a lot of ministry happening. Uh, the Marriage Family Life Conference, God has been blessing it every year. Uh, and, you know, within the conference, we have our youth apologetics track. Uh, as a part of our conference. And this is where the children are ministered to as well in apologetics. And so this is not just a conference for uh, just uh, the parents or just for grownups. We want the whole family to come. I know it's around the 4th of July, so plan accordingly. You know, this could be part of your uh, vacation. Stop by Tupelo (laughs) and uh, get refreshed before you go on to the beach or whatever. And so, man, the Marriage Family Life Conference is coming together uh, we're solidifying things. We're meeting. We're uh, putting everything together. It's just going to be an awesome time. Uh, God really showed up last year, and I believe you know He's going to do some great things this year in in the conference. So uh, you're going to be hearing more information about that, but you can pu- put that on your calendars. I hope you have already, because I've announced it a couple times already that July 7th through the 9th um, this year, 2022 Marriage Family Life Conference. Also, make sure you visit the By Design Facebook page. Uh, just go to um, uh, Facebook and search By Design, or you can go to the webpage, afa.net slash by design. We have different videos there to encourage you in your marriage. We have different articles that are up there. Uh, man, it's just a, a, a great resource uh, just to infuse your marriage with some encouragement. Uh, and if you desire a clear and concise teaching on a biblical response, to critical race theory, go to the resource uh, center, uh, AFA store, and you can pick up the two-part teaching done by Miki Addison on that topic. In case you didn't know, Miki's my wife. She did a great job on that. Um, man, and, and I've heard from different people, different individuals that said, man, it's, this is something, this is a must-have uh, DVD. They, they say that it's very clear, very understandable, 
Um, you know, she breaks it down. And so God, God has gifted her to do that. And she really researched and studied this topic. And so it would, it would do you well to add that to your collection uh, just to know about what's going on, critical race theory, but to have a biblical response. And that's the thing. You know, there's a lot of responses to that. You know, we see the responses happening in the schools and, you know, in, in politics. But what is the Christian response? What is the biblical response to these things? And so I think she did a great job in um, breaking that down. Well, today, oh, just one programming note. And I'm going to mention this again because I'm excited about this. Uh, next Wednesday, we're scheduled on Wednesdays with Will to have a brother on. Um, his name is Marshall Shank, and he is the outreach director for Proven Men Ministries. Uh, Proven Men, if you if you listen to uh, Wednesdays with Will, and especially the, the show that I did about pornography and God being able to deliver us from sexual uh, sin. Well, I mentioned Proven Men, that ministry in that show. Uh, they're a ministry that come alongside churches to help um, in, you know, just really setting men and women free from the grips of pornography, sexual sin, impurity, all that stuff, you know. And we're going to have Marshall Shank on with us to talk about the Proven Men ministry. And, and look, I just want you to mark that down. Because one thing that I found whenever I have uh, done a show or did some writings or whatever, even Facebook posts about pornography or, or you know, sexuality, I, it never fails that I have some inbox messages or some emails of, you know, brothers, especially who are struggling with that with that sin, you know, and they, they're looking for ways. And I always point to that ministry because I, I feel like they have some great resources and tools, but even bigger than that, it teach you, you know, the root of what's going on and why you're, you know, struggling with this and how God set other men free and can set you free. And I know it's not just a man thing. You know, women are dealing with this as well. But, I, you know, so I, I just want to put that out there on Wednesdays. We will next week, uh, Lord willing, we're going to have Marshall on with with us to talk about the Proven Men Ministry. I think this issue needs need to be highlighted much more than it is because it's one of those things where. It thrives in the darkness. Sexual sin thrives in the darkness. And so when, when there's that cover over it and no one knows what you're doing and what's going on, man, it, it tends to continue on. It, it continues on. But even if you're struggling with it and you don't want to do it, well, if you're not being accountable and you're not talking about this stuff and, and, and getting with brothers who can pray with you, who can hold, hold it to you, you know, and say, hey, how are you doing? Are you overcoming? you know, then you're going to continue on in, those, in that sin. It's a struggle. And so we need to talk about these things. I think churches should be talking about these things. I think there should be groups popping up, talking about and dealing with sexual sin, uh, pornography especially, because that's, that has a, a huge grip, not only on the world, but on Christian men, Christian women, ones, you know, who name the name of Christ dealing with this stuff. So that's not what I'm talking about today. But that's just one of those things I'm passionate about because God set me free. God set me free. He delivered me from that. And I know the struggle. And so I just want to put that out there that next Wednesday, Lord willing, we're going to have a brother on to talk about the Proven Men, Proven Men Ministry. And um, I think it's just going to be a great, great show. But today, but today, I want to ask the question, are we really pro-life? Are we really pro-life? And when we think about pro-life, immediately we think about 
yeah, I'm against abortion. Okay. And we should be. But I think being pro-life, that's more involved in that than, than standing against abortion, which is a big part of it. So we talk a lot on this show about marriage and family. And this, of course, is on purpose. You know, this is something that God has placed in our hearts uh, to encourage families, to encourage marriages, and even singles who may be married one day, uh, to be an encouragement to esteem the Lord's standard. Now, the family was instituted by God. Uh, throughout the scripture, you, we see family language. All throughout the scripture, from beginning to end, you see f- this family language. Uh, this is important to God. Uh, if there is ever a question of why the enemy attacks family, marriage, and sexuality so, so uh, uh, strongly, it's because of the great value that God has placed here. See, the enemy, he understands this. We, we know from the scripture, John chapter 10, verse 10, that the thief comes to steal, to kill, and, and to destroy. And Jesus said, I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Well, when we, we zoom in on marriage, family, and sexuality, and life, he, the enemy, is in full attack mode. He's in full attack mode. That's one of those things, man. You can look in our culture today in America. You can see that there is a strong, strong attack on marriage. It's, it's being redefined. We know it can't be redefined. God has set the parameters of what marriage is and what a family is, and that's what it is. But, man, we see it all in our culture today, and even the church has played a part in accepting some of this stuff. When you see things like, yeah, that's gay Christianity and all this kind of stuff, that's an attack on God's standard. God has set the tone for what marriage and family is. So the enemy is in full-on attack mode because he understands that this, this whole idea, this institution of family and marriage, man, it's, it's uh, been given to us by God. It's been given to us by God for a purpose and for a reason. You know, it's funny, I was been, uh, reading I was reading in uh, Genesis, and it was the part where um, God was telling Noah to get the animals and get them male and female, you know, that they were going to be brought into the ark. And the Bible says, God said, bring them in the ark, male and female, the two of them, that they may live. That right there just struck me. God, he's telling us, even with the animals, the reason that you need to have male and female is so that they may live. There's no way that life comes from, you know, the, the same sex. That, that, it doesn't happen. So the thing is, you know, God is telling us, and I, I think, man, it's, it's crazy because it's simple. This is something that we should know um, even outside of the Bible, but praise God for the word of God. But God is saying, bring them on like this so that they may live. And that, that, that just stuck out to me. It's profound. And that's just a side note. But today, as far as being pro-life, I want to focus on our children for a moment. Are we truly pro-life? So the Addisons, uh, we're a family of eight. You know, Miki, myself, and we have six children. And this would, by today's standard in America, be seen as a big family. Uh, Even within the church world, this uh, would be seen as a large family. Oh, you have six children. So we have gotten the comments about how big our, big our family is and uh, from, 
from other Christians and the surprise and, you know, bewilderment of how can you even function with so many children, you know? And this wasn't always the case, especially in, in, in Christendom, you know? Uh, if we look at the Word of God in which we will, we'll see, man, that there is a different mindset that we're supposed to have about children within the family of God. So I would tell you that our mindset was not always where it should be. You know, my mindset wasn't always where it is today concerning life and children. Now, I've never been pro-abortion or anything like that. But, man, you can still, you can be against abortion, but not really be pro-life. Not really be pro-life. So while we have never been pro-abortion in our stances or even close to it, our hearts and our actions if surveyed, they may say something a little different. When a large family come around you, what's your response? If, you, if you're in church and, you know, here, here they come falling in, seven kids with a mom and dad, is, do you give them a little look like, man, that's a lot of, you know? Like, what is the heart level? What's going on in our hearts about children? Do we see children like God see, sees children? So I remember at about our fourth uh, child, the Lord began to really challenge me with, about my heart perception of children, about my heart perception of children. And he used Psalm chapter 127, very, very popular uh, scripture. But God used this as a core passage, as well as some experiences uh, he gave us uh, throughout the years. The Lord challenged me. He challenged me with this question. Where in my word has children been anything but a blessing or a feature of prosperity and security? Where in my word, in the Bible, have children been anything but a blessing or a feature of prosperity and security? And I had to kind of chew on that and think about that. And and when I thought about it, I was like, man, I can't think of anywhere in scripture that says that children are a burden or a curse. We're going to talk about this. This is Aaron, Ad- Aaron Addison's here, Wednesdays with Will. We're going to talk about all we really pro-life. We're going to talk about children. And I think this is going to be a great discussion. Uh, so stick with me. We'll be back right after this. Addison's here on American Family Radio, Wednesdays with Will. And that's an oldie right there. That's uh, Andre Crouch. I don't know. Jay Mack and them. Y'all don't know about Andre Crouch. <laughs> oh, it is Jesus. All right. But uh, we're talking about are we really pro-life? Are we really pro-life? 
And before the break, I, I mentioned that the Lord challenged me with a question. Where in my word has children been anything but a blessing, a feature of prosperity and security? And he challenged me with this question around about my fourth child. Because Look, surrounding what was going on in my life at that time, man, we were not really ready for another baby. And so, man, you had to deal with the, the, um, the feelings of, oh, man, we're not ready. We don't want, oh, but I'm Christian. I'm pro-life. What do I mean I don't want? Those are some real, real times, some real feelings. And Miki has, has spoken about that pretty transparently and how God dealt with her. But God was also dealing with me. Where in my word are children anything but a blessing? And I had to sit down with that. I had to think about that. And I had to kind of survey my heart. And I, I couldn't come up with anything. Even in the passage about Jabez being named Pain, right, by his mother, he was called honorable by God. The scripture says that Jabez was more honorable than his brothers, and his mother named him Jabez, saying, because I bore him with pain. Now Jabez called on the God of Israel, saying, Oh, that you would bless me indeed and enlarge my border, and that your hand might be with me, and that you would keep me from harm, that it may not pain me. And God granted him what he requested. So even in a circumstance where a mom named her son a name that wasn't, you know, it, she named him out of pain. But God said this was an honorable man. He was, a, he was blessed. And so in Psalm 127, a very familiar passage, I, I think I'm going to pick up with, with verse 3. This is a, what's called a Psalm of Ascent, which is a collection of songs sung by Jewish pilgrims as they made the journey to Jerusalem for the Feast of the Lord. So they would sing these songs on their way to Jerusalem. Can you imagine Psalm 127 being, that's a song that they're singing, reminding themselves of the goodness of God. I'm just imagining seeing the Jewish families on their way to Jerusalem and singing, you know, unless the Lord builds a house, <laughs> the builder labors in vain. Unless the Lord watches over a city, the watchmen stand guard in vain. You know, this, these are songs. But you get down to, I believe, around verse 3. It said, Behold, children are a gift of the Lord. Children are a gift of the Lord. The fruit of the womb is a reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior, so are the children of one's youth. How blessed is the man whose quiver is full of them. They will not be ashamed when they speak with their enemies in the gate. That's Psalm chapter 127, verse 3 through 5. This starts off, behold. That means look, observe, gaze upon this truth. That what? That children are a gift or a heritage of the Lord. Children, we receive from the Lord as a gift, as a heritage from him. And then it goes on to say, that the fruit of the womb is a reward. Man, Christians, do we believe that? Do we believe, number one, that children are a gift of the Lord? Number two, that 
the fruit of the womb is a reward? <laughs> because if, if that's so, which it is, because the word of God is true, then why are we so, why are we so hesitant about large families? Now, am I saying that every family has to have six children? No. But I'm saying, man, there are blessings associated with our children. And I, I mentioned earlier that I had some personal experiences that God brought back to me. After every child we had, up, and this was around the fourth child, man, I can look back on how God blessed us afterwards. There was something that happened after each child. There was something to move us into a different direction or, you know, he revealed something more to us about ministry after each child. And God was bringing me back to that, that, man, I'm blessing you with these children. This is not a burden. You might be trying to figure out, man, we're adding another one. How am I going to do this? Man, we already have. But God is like, no, this is a blessing. You need to change your mindset. See, we've been trained, even in America, to view children as a burden. You only need 2.5 children. You know, that was something that my mom and my dad were, were told, that, that generation. And look, they kind of listen. It's just me and my sister. <laughs> but that was something that was put out there. Is that from the word of God or from God's heart? I think we need to be open before God. Because if it's true, which it is, again, that children are a blessing, a reward, then, man, why are we trying to stop the blessing? The fruit of the womb is a reward. And when you look in the Scripture, having children is a blessing. Barrenness was bad. That was a sign of not being blessed or that was a curse or something was there that wasn't right. Barrenness, not having. But see, to think like this, we got to go back to the scripture. We got to get out of our, sometimes our Western way of thinking and say, man, what does the word of God says? Remember the Hebrew midwives? I talked about this on one of the Wednesday shows who saved the lives of the Hebrew baby boys. Remember, um, they defied Pharaoh. What was their reward? Do y'all remember their reward? Well, I'm going to read it. Then the king of Egypt, he spoke to the Hebrew mid, uh, midwives, one of whom was named Shipra and the other was named Pua. And he said, when you are helping the Hebrew women to give birth and see them upon the birth stool, if it is a son, then you shall put him to death. But if it is a daughter, then she shall live. But the midwives did what? They feared God. But the midwives feared God and did not do as the king of Egypt had commanded them. But let the boys live. So the king of Egypt called for the midwives and said to them, Why have you done this thing and let the boys live? The midwives said to Pharaoh, because the Hebrew women are not like the Egyptian women, for they are vigorous and give birth before the midwife can get to them. So God was good to the midwives and, and the uh, people multiplied and became very mighty. And here it is. Because the midwives feared God, he established households for them. Now, these midwives, I don't know. 
I don't know. They might have been barren. But they didn't have households before this whole situation, but they were rewarded with households. Look at that. They they weren't rewarded with, like, we're going to give you riches and fame. And God said, I'm going to reward you with households. Children, family, that's, man, that's, you are wealthy if you have a wife, a husband, children. You have a lot. You have a lot. And that's, that was found in Exodus chapter 1, verse 15 through 21. Uh, how about this? Remember Abram, before he was Abraham, when he was told that God was his shield and that he, his reward, his reward would be very great. Well, what was his reward? What was Abram's reward from the Lord? Well, I'll read it to you. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision saying, do not fear. Abram, I am a shield to you. Your reward shall be very great. So God said, man, I'm your shield. I'm a shield for you. I'm going to protect you. And your reward is going to be very, very great. Hmm. And Abram said, oh, Lord, what will you give me since I am what? Since I am childless. Wow. He didn't say, Lord, what will you give me since I, you know, I need this or I need that or, you know, bring me some armed forces if I'm going to be, you know, whatever. He said, I'm childless. Abram was equating the reward with having children. That's a far, far thing from our minds today of children being a burden. So Abram said, Oh, Lord, what will you give me since I am childless? And the heir of my house is Eleazar of Damascus. And Abram said, since you have given no offspring to me, one born in my house is my heir. Then behold, the word of the Lord came to him, saying, this man will not be your heir, but one who will come forth from your own body. He shall be your heir. And he took him outside and said, now look toward the heavens. Here it is. And count the stars. If you are able to count them. And he said to him, so shall your descendants be. This is that family language again. You're going to be the the instrument that I'm going to bless all mankind. All the families will be blessed because of, of you. So shall your descendants be. Then he believed in the Lord. And he reckoned it to him as righteousness. That's Genesis chapter 15, verse 1 through 6. Two situations. The midwives, their reward was they received households, families. Abram, his reward, he said, what will, you, what will you give me? I'm childless. This was equated with blessings. This was to be equated with blessings. Remember Hannah, Samuel's mom? The Lord uh, closed her womb. But she cried out to God for a son. Then Hannah rose after eating and drinking in Shiloh. Now Eli the priest was sitting on the seat by the doorpost of the temple of the Lord. She greatly uh, distressed, prayed to the Lord, and wept bitterly. She made a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look on the affliction of your handmaiden, your handservant, um, and remember me, and not forget your maidservant, But will give your maidservant a son. She wanted a son. She she wanted a child. Then I will give him to the Lord all the days of my life. 
and a razor shall never come on his head. Children are a blessing. In the Bible, they wanted children. This was a sign of the Lord is with me. Remember Rachel. Now, when Rachel saw that she bore Jacob no children, that was a big deal. She became jealous of her sister, and she said to Jacob, give me children or else I die. Wow. Uh, is that what our culture is saying today? Give me children or I'm going to die. No, they're saying like kill them, abort them. That, they're not real children anyway. It's just a lump of cells. <laughs> then Jacob's anger burned against Rachel, and he said, am I in the place of God who has withheld from you the fruit of the womb? Man, this is a, a big deal. She said, here is my maid uh, Bilhah. Go into her that she may bear on my knees, that, though, that through her I may have children. So she was so desperate, she wanted to have children through a, 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 a maid, like someone that wasn't his wife. She said, I, I just need children. Man, in our culture today, that's not the case. Even in our Christian culture. No, I only can have a certain amount of kids, man. Oh, man, I can't deal with that. Now, you're saying you can't deal with blessings. You can't deal with a reward. A sad thing that's going to happen in this country because of the low birth rate, when a lot of people get older, they're not going to have any children to take care of them. That's one of the features. You, you can have some security there that, man, Someone in your lineage is going to take care of you. Somebody that you gave birth to is going to not just throw you in a nursing home. <laughs> Man, this, is, this, all, this has all been set up by God. Remember Michael, David's wife, uh, when she scolded David about his worship before the Lord? Uh, she was cursed with what? Barrenness. Barrenness. The Bible says that she, until the day that she died, had no child because of what she was doing, what she said against the worship of, of David as he worshiped God because the ark was coming back to Jerusalem. It's amazing how we can look at Scripture and have a totally different mindset about children than the Scripture teaches us. All over Scripture, there was a high value placed on children. Do we think like this, that our children are rewards and blessings entrusted to us? Is this our thought? I would submit that it's not. When we, when we see large families, why do we cringe? Why do we have a, a, a joke to make, a smart remark like, oh, why are we put off by that? Why? Because we don't understand what the word of God says about children, family, marriage. That's all been distorted. We have this worldly way of viewing the standards that God has set forth. We're going to talk a little bit more about this. I have um, a few articles I want to share with you. I hope I have the time to do it. But we're talking about are we really pro-life? Are we really pro-life? This is Aaron Addison's here on American Family Radio, Wednesdays with Will. Be right back after this.
blood warning, it's easy to mock. If you've never seen it pouring, they like, we've never seen rain before. Then here you come saying God sent us gonna pour. So we choose our way and reject salvation, though it's priceless. The same reason was stone a prophet, but the sort of psychic. So please remember, we know it was the butt of the joke. But when the flood came, those who left was chasing his boat. But it was too late, no man could stay. This is Aaron Addison's here on American Family Radio. Wednesdays with Will, and that right there is Gabriel Parker, uh, mocking word, mocking word. I, I plan to have Gabriel on the show soon. He's a he's a pastor, <laughs> he's a brother in the Lord, man. He's a a Christian rapper. Uh, he has a podcast. A great brother, great brother. Um, but today we're talking about the thought of um, are we really pro life? And I came across this article, the uh, Pew Research uh, Center uh, study. And it was done in 2019. Uh, and it said household patterns by religion. Household patterns by religion. So Pew Research Center analyzed data on six religious groups. So they did it on Christians, Muslims, Hindus, Buddhists, Jews, and people with no religious affiliation. And it says globally, the average Muslim lives in the biggest household. 6.4 people, followed by the average Hindu, 5.7, then the Christian, 4.5, Buddhist, 3.9, then none, 3.7, and Jew, 3.7. And religious groups also vary in the types of household they are most likely to occupy. Hindus and Buddhists and the religiously unaffiliated most often reside in extended families, while Muslims, Christians, and Jews have larger shares in two-parent homes. Okay. I want to look at real quick uh, the Christians, the two biggest ones. It was Christians and, and uh, Muslims. And there were some things in this article. I was like, man, you know, it just stuck out to me. So Christians account for nearly a third of the global population, making them the largest of the major religious groups. They also are the most broadly distributed with roughly equal percentages living in Europe, 24% Latin America, and the Caribbean, 25%, and Sub-Saharan Africa, 26%, uh, the Asia-Pacific region and North America together account for the most of the remaining quarter. And the share of Christians who reside in the Middle East, uh, North Africa region, is less than 1%. All right. In terms of their shares of the uh, regional population, Christians represent ma uh, majorities in Latin America and the Caribbean, 90%, and North America, 76%. Europe 73 and Sub-Saharan Africa 62% and small minorities in the uh, Asia Pacific re region 7% and the Middle East and North Africa uh, would be 4%. So it then talks about Christian household size. Christian household size. And with the smallest households, Christians around the world uh, live in somewhat smaller households on average than non-Christians, 4.5 versus 5.1. And Christians have their smallest households in North America, 3.4, and Europe, 3.1. And by a wide margin, their largest households in sub-Saharan uh, Africa, 6.0. So Christians live with the largest number of people in Gambia, and I think that was, it was like 10.3, so that was large. The tendency of Christians to live in smaller households than others is particularly pronounced in areas where they live alongside Muslims. All right. 
But then it, it goes into Christians, the household types. And this was something I was like, man, I feel like when you, when you look at these numbers, the influence of the Western mindset has really infiltrated the Christians beyond what the Bible says. Because God has given us the command to be fruitful and multiply. We already say that children are a blessing uh, from the Lord. We see that from Scripture, and there's tons of Scripture talking about children and families. and you know. Um, so why are we so reluctant and hesitant to, to have children? You know, Well, Christians around the world are most likely to live in uh, two-parent families with minor children, and they, they do so at about the same rate as everyone else. But Christians are markedly less likely than others to live in extended families. In fact, Christians are the least likely group, aside from Jews, to live with a wider circle of relatives. I wonder why that is. I, I, you know, there, there's a few things that come to mind for that. You know, some of it could be that, man, if you are a Christian and your extended family is not Christian, maybe there's something there that you don't, you know, Y'all can't live together. Like, it's just so, so much going on. But it could also be that our mindset as Christians, especially in the West, is like uh, we don't embrace our families. That's extended, you know, even if they are Christians. It's like, and like, uh, we, we're not living together. That's no, that's not going to happen. But then it goes on to say, on the other hand, Christians are more likely than non-Christians to live in household types that have few members. Larger shares of Christians live alone. Larger shares of Christians live alone or as couples without other family members. Hmm. In some countries, such as Sweden, 35%, and Germany, 32%, living in a couple-only household is the most common arrangement for Christians. I just wonder why that is. And again, I gave those two um, reasons that could be that maybe, you know, it's, it's a thing of, well, my family are not Christians, so... We, we don't live together like that or, you know, I wouldn't extend my home. Or maybe there's a, a, a bent of selfishness in, in that context as well. I don't know. Then it says globally, Christians also are more likely than non-Christians to live in a single parent household. Hmm. Globally, Christians are also more likely to, than non-Christians to live in a single parent household. 6% versus 3% a type of arrangement that is generally more common in North America, Sub-Saharan Africa, and Latin America. All Christian majority are regions. Within these regions, Christians live in single-parent families at close to the same rates as non-Christians. Man, so you talk about dropping of the ball here. Like, we shouldn't lead the way in the single-parent home context. Now, I know that's all kind of things that happen, but man, Christians, think about this. Globally, lead the way in single-parent households. That, there's something to be said there about not adhering to the Bible, to the standard of God. Why is this? Then it goes on to say, in the Asia-Pacific, Latin America, Caribbean, Middle East North Africa and Sub-Saharan Africa regions, Christians overwhelmingly live in extended or two-parent families. So why in these other areas, North America, like the West and Latin America, is it not so? It's just very in interesting to me. Very interesting. 
Far fewer European Christians, 49% and North American Christians, 43% reside in those types of households, meaning households with two parents. That's a problem. That's a problem. So I was looking at that and I was like, man, we have to really understand what the word of God is saying. And if we don't teach in our churches about sexuality, about being married, about you, you, sex is for marriage and it's for the production of, of, of families and children, you know, like if, if that's not being taught, if holiness is not being taught in our churches, well, we have the outflow of a bunch of people who are professing Christians, but we have a, a bunch of single parent homes. Now, am I saying that those homes are doomed? No, but I'm saying that that's not the standard of God. That's not the standard of God. The standard of God is a husband and a wife in that context that will have children, offspring, that they were raised before the Lord. He's seeking godly offspring, Malachi, remember that? But the, the, the context in which, which that happens is a functional family unit. But then you turn to Muslims, and it says about a quarter of all people are Muslims, making them the world's second largest religious group, okay? It goes down to the Muslim household size. Globally, in the 15 countries with the biggest households, Islam is the largest religion in all but one, in Benin. And Muslims around the world live in households with an average of approximately two more people than non-Muslims. And they reside in larger families than non-Muslims in every region analyzed. So it seems like there's more of a family context among the Muslims. But we know what our, our scriptures say about family, about, you know, how to take care of one another, love one another, you know. But we see in a Muslim context, there's more of an emphasis on the family. One reason Muslims live in larger households is that they tend to have more, compared with other religions, more children. They have more children. They have larger households because they have more children. Look, whenever I see a Muslim family, I see no less than four children. I, that's just me. Compared with other religious groups, um, Muslims have more children. Muslims around the world are also relatively young. In a handful of Muslim-majority countries, uh, half or more of the population is under 18. Wow. And children are unlikely to live alone or in a, a couple-only arrangement. They don't have that type of arrangement happening, whereas, you know, just a single parent. Or That's saying something. Now, we have the Bible. We have the standard of God. And we know what our, the Word says. One man, one woman, in that context, raising a family. And that, that's a, a functional family. But, man, what we have happening is dysfunctional families. Now, this was something that stuck out to me, even about the Muslims. Like other religious groups, Muslims have their smallest households in Europe. Still, in European countries, with enough representation to compare Muslims with others, the average Muslim live with more people than the average non-Muslim. So there's a Western mindset, I think, happening here. Even amongst the Muslims, they, they have smaller households in Europe. And I think what has happened to the Christian is that we have let that Western Mindset seep into our Christianity. Oh, we don't need all those kids. Oh, man, you know, that would be a burden. 
Where'd that come from? You will not find that in the scripture. You will not find that. Muslims are less likely than others to live in households that contain no children or extended family. Muslims are less likely than others to live in a household that contain no children or extended family. That's amazing because, as I just read, there's a bunch of Christians that are not in household, that don't have children in households or have extended family living with them. But that's not happening with the Muslims. Only about 5% of Muslims live either alone or as a couple without children. Only five, about 5%. They have a different mindset about children. And it's almost like they have the mindset that we should have about family, about children. <laughs> Look, it's a problem. It's a problem. There was this other article that I came across. Evangelicals, the birth rate is now nearly as low as that of secularists. Hmm. So this person, Gene, uh, I, I want to say Veith, starts off his article. It says, I used to hear some variation of this. We Christians haven't been doing so well in the culture war, but in the long run, we'll prevail because we are having lots of kids. And the secularists aren't. And he says, this doesn't seem to be true anymore. That the birth rate of Christians, whether evangelicals, other conservative Protestants and Catholics has dropped so that it is little different from the secularists. Wow. Wow. According to um, results from study, fertility has declined across Christian denominations. From an average of 2.7 children ever born in 1972 to 2.3 in 2016, and it's going to be even lower now. The researchers looked at the effect that church attendance and a more literal view of the Bible had on a person's family size. <laughs> if mainline Protestants and Catholics attended church regularly, childbearing slightly increased. However, among conservative Protestants, fertility rates declined regardless of attendance level. Amazing. He gives some reasons why evangelicals may be having fewer children. I just want to read that and I'll be finished. Why are evangelicals having fewer children? Uh, so he says, most conservative Protestants are now fine with birth control technologies. That's one reason, which they once had problems with, along with conservative Catholics. Uh, some evangelical couples cite stewardship of the earth. Wait, what? Christians talking about stewardship of the earth as a reason not to have kids? It says this as a reason for not having a reason for not having children, buying the environmentalist line that each child is a burden on the earth's surface and its resources and a contributor to climate change. People, this is the problem. Then he says, I suspect the bigger reasons are those common uh, to nearly all Americans, and the reason why. There is a uh, decline in nearly every demographic. Women are devoting themselves to the workplace. So that you have a bunch of mothers that's outside of the home now. They can't concentrate on children because they're at work. They don't have time. Look, people, we have to have the mind of Christ about this stuff, about family, because it's important to God. It should be important to us. This has been Aaron Addison's here on American Family Radio, Wednesdays with Will. Be back with you tomorrow, Lord willing. Until then, God bless.